to obey or not to obey? That is the question. Obey, what do you ask? Obey the government when they're asking you to disobey the Lord your God. What are Christians and churches to do in such instances? With the ongoing pandemic, the social justice unrest, there seems to be much confusion between the government and the church. How should we respond to such things? Please join us as we take this time to stop and think about it. Hello? Hello, anybody home? I think, McFly, think. I'm thinking, I'm thinking. What were you thinking? I'm trying to think, but nothing happens. Don't say anything now. Just think about it. You're listening to Stop and Think About It, a podcast for the Christian thinker. In a day when sound biblical preaching has been replaced by man-centered entertainment and the church has become increasingly anti-intellectual, this podcast will encourage believers to think biblically and theologically. So please join me as we get ready to stop and think about it. Greetings, friends and foes, saints and sinners. Welcome to another episode of the Stop and Think About It podcast. I'm here with Glenroy, the West Indian wordsmith. Say hello, Glenroy. Hello, Glenroy. <laughs> and I'm your host, Phil, the Bronx Expositor. So, Glenn, we have to actually talk about like what's like the role of government with all of these things, because that obviously gets into the minutiae of everything that's taking place with what we've already spoken about with racial relations and Christianity. Um, I know that uh, Paul speaks about that in Romans chapter 13. And uh, just to mention uh, very quickly, uh, basically he says, listen, God is the authority. He set up government. If we don't obey government, we're not obeying God. But yet other times that we're supposed to just not obey the government. This is what's so troubling about what's going on right now, because I guess they're saying the racial issues are so great that now the government doesn't matter. Or the government never mattered. Or the government is the cause of all the issues. And without this particular government, everything would be wonderful. I think, you know, basically Roman 13 is saying that God instituted the government. And I believe it says in multiple books that we are supposed to uh, obey the government. It's in the same vein as of obeying our boss, being in, in, in subjection to each other. I, th- I think it's very clear that we should be obeying the government authorities, especially when it's difficult, when it's something that's not palatable. And I think America is a great example of this peaceful protest. It's nothing wrong with, but there's a way to change a government if you don't like it. That does not have to be violent and does not have to be done unlawfully. But that's that's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing on television. Uh, we're seeing on the streets. Uh, I mean, I saw... Uh, uh, some protesting uh, right in front of my eyes. And uh, I mean, I'm seeing the group Black Lives Matter and Antifa and other such groups. Uh, man, they they seem to try to be a law or government unto themselves, uh, calling for the defunding of police. Uh, they obviously they don't know Romans 13. <laughs> so like, <laughs> well, what, what do you think's going on there? Let's think about it. Bla- Black Lives Matter is basically... Marxist, or we talked about this with with um, in other podcasts. It's just basically they want everyone to have the same, everyone to be equal, everyone to have everything exactly the same. Or if there is a division, they want it to be in favor of the minority, or specifically black over white, poor over rich, and all these different things. Antifa is supposed to be short for anti-fascist, which is supposed right. to be anti-authoritarian, but they act like fascists. The way they behave, the way they're trying to achieve their goals is fascist. But I, I think that's the point. We're not saying you should always obey, obey government authorities, but there is a way to disobey. So it's kind of like, when should you disobey? Okay, if I if we see someone like George Floyd with police officers who are supposed to be in positions of authority... Once, like we talked about last time, abusing that authority, I do agree that we should disobey that. But do we disobey it by putting our neck, our, our knees on his neck? Do we disobey by, did, like you said, defunding the police? No, we would disobey by what everyone would agree started out as peaceful protest, because that's actually a lawful, that's actually in obeyance. But now, once we're doing what you're talking about, that's not obeying. 
Yeah, it's it's something I you know again all of this does stem from the the cultural Marxism which views the problem as listen there's there's bondage economic oppression and Christianity says bondage is because of sin. Yeah, um, yeah. And mm-hmm. so you know their solution is a peaceful conflict uh, and really to get free from Christianity because as Christians we're supposed to obey the government. There's a whole bunch of people who feel like they don't need to do that. I mean, we got people looting and rioting and things like that. Christians obviously should not be a part of that, nor support that in any way, shape, or form. Uh, the solution to Christianity, obviously, is to repent toward God and put our faith in Christ. Now, now I want to ask something. So, once again, COVID's happening at the same time, right? And I think a lot of what's happening now is a result of COVID. So, think about it. We were told to stay in, shelter in place. Hide out, socially distance. Don't even breathe. Don't don't breathe on each other. Don't go anywhere. If you have to get food, kind of run in and run out. So we have several months of everyone just obeying every single word that comes out of the the governmental authorities. And I think that's what happened. They they're obeying to such an extent where maybe we shouldn't have obeyed every single thing. And now this event happens, and now. It's it's good to disobey. Now we can gather en masse. And we're going to talk about that a little further, I think. Just be able to do whatever you want. And I think that is the, it's the explosion that happened. But once again, there is a way to disobey lawfully. I think you got to think about it. When you're disobeying the government, you are acting unlawfully. And I think we are in a society now where, depending on the issue at hand, being Acting in a criminal way is okay. It seemed like it, it, the whole shelter in happened, and then everybody was kind of putting their best foot forward, um, and then all of this unrest took place. But it seems that uh, there, this whole thing with the essential versus the non-essential. Well, well, well um, Phil, hold, hold, stop it there. <laughs> I'm essential. I just want to make sure you don't get don't get too rough on this issue because. I was essential. I haven't stopped working one day. Okay. So just, <laughs> I don't know what, what kind of situation you were in, but I was deemed essential by the government. So I'm okay with everything. All right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And um, I mean, as a school teacher, they shut the school down, but obviously we were essential enough. We were up and running as well in, in, in that respect. Oh, you were, you're essential too? Well, not in the same way you're essential because you actually had to go into uh, your job. I would have thought pastors would be like, the number one essential, but uh, not in this society. It's interesting because when you talk about essential versus non-essential, uh, what makes something essential? Like what makes a business or an organization or a nonprofit, what makes it essential? The donation you make to the politician makes a big difference. Ooh, you going there. I like it. How the how the governor feels at the time is, is a big issue on that. So wait, wait. So you're saying that the feelings of the government or the governor or mm. the mayor mm. uh, actually play a part in what is deemed essential and not essential that they're like yeah you might you might be quoting i might be co- picking the wrong place but i think in minnesota the governor there decided that motorboats covid like it's it's a covid death trap and rowboats are okay so, like, I'm not really sure what the science is behind that, but that I think it's about the, her feelings or, uh, or or what the the governor felt would affect, let's say, climate change. So they were instituting things that were that would affect climate change. Where they're instituting things that would be racially neutralizing. They basically were able to get their pet projects done under the auspices of well, COVID nineteen. When I see a law like that, I wonder when. As we, as we progress on, and I see the, the the governor saying, "You can go," which once again, I'm not going to a bar, but I'm just talking, you know, in, with just what's going on. That if you go to a bar and you're at a bar, as long as you're eating, COVID is not going to affect you. But if you're not eating, then all of a sudden you're unlawful. If I use a motorboat, but don't use the motor, but the paddle, am I good or not good? <laughs> it's it's very random, and depending on the jurisdiction you go to science matters or it doesn't matter you know and i think that's a lot of people argue about science but you can't justify some of the rules that were set up once again we obey you know 
you tell me I got to wear a mask, I will. If you tell me I need to click my heel three times before I go out, I will. I'm not saying we, we shouldn't obey it, but I but I also need people to understand that it it, it is random. It is, it is not necessarily every single thing that we're asked to do is going to work the way we are. And once again, when the whole essential, non-essential thing came out, as, as a worker, we kind of knew we were, but every day we would check and they never mentioned, I work in elevators, never mentioned elevators, but we had to kind of glean that. And first it was like seven different industries and then it was 20 industries and then it was all these different rules added on. So over time, essential grew and non-essential uh, shrunk and it was very random. So I, I don't think I like you know, the government being able to determine who's essential, who's not. I mean, essential really matters as needed, you know, and I think teachers being able to be in school with students is essential. (laughs) I think elevators are essential. (laughs) Do you think, um, yeah, we have elevators in our school, (laughs) uh, that some of this is not only random, but subjective? That's where the randomness comes. Yeah, so... Their their actual feelings, their personal emotions, and their ties to things, uh, actually are part of what is allowed and disallowed. Um, because it seems that there were special restrictions placed upon churches compared to the lack of restrictions on other peoples and groups. So, marijuana dispensaries they were deemed as essential. No, wait, wait hold on, hold on, Phil, Phil, hold, 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 hold on, let's stop, let's stop, stop, let's back it up. Marijuana dispensaries, those are closed down, right? Because that's not essential. They were deemed as essential. Well, you know, like, you know, retail outlets and factories, you know, those were shut down because it's a, it's a whole bunch of people in one space. Negative. Right? Essential. Macy's, JCPenney's, all the big department stores. Boom. You know, I love those. Lo- I love those little items that are like in the checkout aisle that you don't really need, but it's right there. Those are essential. Those are essential. Right, right. A fan for your cell phone, <laughs> you know. Exactly, exactly. Let's 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 keep this game going. What else, what else was what else was essential or not essential? Bars and Black Lives Matter protests. Wait, oh wait, whoa, wait. Okay, so wait, isn't a protest where there's a whole bunch of people screaming with signs, touching each other, bumping each other, Get getting tear gassed? Yes. Um. No social so, distancing. Wait, so, yeah, so how how do you how do you social distance in a protest and a riot? <laughs> yeah, they so uh, the Black Lives Matter was very wise, and they put all these little dots on the floor and made sure everybody was six feet apart from each other, and they couldn't touch hands. No, right? So, <laughs> so that would happen. So the picture here, right? So the picture here is looting, stealing, marching, shouting, drinking beer. <laughs> Uh, buying shoes at the the outlet, I, I, and 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 I think you forgot to mention one. The the abortion was was still because you had to have abortions. So you couldn't stop that, you That's know, right. during this this period. Um, but the but churches couldn't meet, or they were. I think the initial thing was restricted to fifty percent. Then only ten people. Then it was just like you're closed. You know, listen, I understand. You know, they're looking for votes and bigger organizations that are gonna vote for them you know they want to please them uh, special interest groups things of that nature but uh it seems that a lot of times then a sense of justice uh, goes out the window and they call what they're doing just and right and fair but how can you put the kibosh on churches but allow all of these other things even the murder of children oh well i think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier right christians obey <laughs> <laughs> right. So so what do you do? You have the 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 anarchists, the anti-fascists, the the people who are saying society's wrong and they are disobeying. Those people you honor. Those people okay, we got to get these guys calmed down. The people who are humble, who are submitted unto Christ, who will follow whatever order you do as long as it's not against Christ. Those are the ones you put the most oppressive rules upon. Right. The ones who are social. If you tell them social distance in the house, they're social distancing in the house. And I want to tell you something, Phil. I saw people who were not doing that in their house. They were having parties. They were meeting up. I'm not I'm not trying to admonish those people. I'm saying the people who were doing the protesting 
are one of the same people who are not following the rules to begin with. So it's like the ones who are, it's like you're, you're rewarding those who are acting in an anti-social, anti-conforming um, um, way, Yes. right? While the people who are conforming, who do follow the rules, are the ones that you seem to attack and oppress the most. Yeah. Woe to those who call evil and evil good. It's something. And, and so uh, many politicians are just cowtailing, if that's the right word, uh, to a lot of these various groups. And, and of course, we see global persecution of Christians uh, all over the world. Uh, we saw the Coptic Christians beheaded on the beach in those orange suits. Uh, how many marches were done because of that injustice? Uh, I, uh, I must have been watching a different uh, news channel, but I, I didn't really see I many. I still have not seen any any marches um, uh, concerning that. And we see it in China. We see it in Africa. We see it in South America. And I think we're seeing that a lot here in the United States, even though perhaps in a different form. Uh, maybe they're not cutting people's heads off and hands off and throwing Christians in jail left and right. But um, definitely there is persecution, at least um, in in the sense of injustice, in the sense of unfairness and government overreach upon Christians. Um, have you heard anything uh, in, in this respect or what have we experienced even in our church uh, in New York? Well, I, look, the one thing I've learned throughout this whole um, pandemic, this whole series is that singing God praises unto the Lord is a no-no. It's the number one cause and the number one way to spread COVID. <laughs> right. That's what I've heard. I said, I heard, even if you, even if we are able to meet, even if you allow 50% of the church, you cannot sing unto the Lord. You can protest to, to the top of your lungs. That's fine. That, And I've actually had... The, the, and I don't want to pick on anyone in particular, but it's just for illustration. The mayor of New York, on the one hand, shut down churches, says, if you ever do it, we're going to take away your ability to meet. We're going to take away, you know, we're, you know, certain areas. You're never going to be able to open up again if you do this. If you go to the beach, you, we're going to get you out of the beach. We're going to lock. We're going to fence off the beach because you're there. While at the same time, a week later, saying if you're protesting, I don't think you're going to cause any issue. I think it's fine. I think it's a beautiful thing that we're protesting against the racial inequality. And and I don't think that's going to cause a rise in cases. So I said, okay, singing at church with 50 people is going to cause a rise. Going to the beach and putting your hand, your, 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 your sandals into the, the sand is going to cause a rise. But you screaming at the top of your lungs is not going to cause a rise. You holding locking arms at each other while you protesting is not going to cause a rise it, it it makes you just wonder what like is there attack on the church it has to be um I, not to spend too much time but you know phil we can we can't even gather into our cars there were there were churches that were meeting in the parking lot in separate cars separated by i would assume by more than six 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 feet i think most cars are six feet by themselves, right? Closed in, windows closed, and they said they're going to shut that down. That is, that is, that is a, a COVID hotbed. And I was like, we're social distancing. We're not together. How how is it possibly being spread? Why? Because it's an attack upon the church itself. Yeah. So it seems like uh, Amazing Grace just has a way of just spewing COVID nineteen all over the place. Yeah. Um, yeah, but like yeah. you said, you know, shouting at the top of your lungs, uh, that doesn't do that. But, uh, just mm. the government has said that the black lives matter message is so important that it seems to be okay to protest. That means the church's message is not important. Which is the only message that could change the hearts of humanity? <laughs> and that's uh, a, that's an obvious um, parallel, I believe. Yeah, yeah, and um, you know, listen, we've been protesting a lot longer. That's why we're called Protestants. <laughs> exactly. Look, we're still saying to obey the authorities. We're not telling you to disobey. We're not telling you that you know, disregard common basic practices. But I, I just want you to recognize that 
the restrictions that are on us are onerous. They're burdensome. A lot of us pray that the government would, would, would give us free reign to spread the gospel. And right now, it's not. I think during this whole pandemic, even though we're doing the video conferencing and the all these different ways of trying to meet with each other, I know many other brothers and sisters who they're lacking something right now. The the inability to meet and to fellowship and to kind of look each other in the eye and say, what's going on with you? It, it, it's a very detrimental cause. I know a lot of people either not going to church anymore or they're just not as avid as they used to be. Because if this was a plan to disrupt churches, it's working perfectly. Yeah. I mean, as you think about it, uh, people are fearful of getting this this virus. And so where is a place people go and have their fears calmed? They meet with the people of God. There's confidence. Uh, There's comfort. There's comfort to be around God's people. You're singing about God's amazing grace and God's care and God's comfort and God's righteousness and, and, and who we are in Christ. I mean, this is great comfort there being among God's people. Yeah. And I, and I definitely think as we're talking about this and it's coming to my mind that there is this fear tactic that's going on, this terrorizing of people and saying, this is a disease. Yes, it is. It is a very contagious disease. Yes. Many people have died. Yes. But but they've also heightened it as if it's it can it can go around walls. It can it can it can it can do things that normal diseases can't do. There, there's still restrictions. God is soft. He says, I will not destroy the, the whole earth again in the same manner I did it last time. So this one disease will not kill everyone. So there's going to be survivors. And if, But if you watch or listen to the news, it's as if there will be no survivors. It's as if you do not stay in your house huddled up, it's the end of the world. So people who do not have God, who do not understand the sovereignty of God, they're able to be herded left and right because of this terror and this fear of death. But what, but Pastor, Pastor Phil, what does a Christian think about death? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. Um, we ought not to be fearful of death um, because we get to be with the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean that we go out and test the Lord uh, as Satan did to Jesus when he told him to jump off the pinnacle of the temple. Uh, we don't like jump in front of 18 wheeler trucks going, you know, 55 miles an hour on the highway and say, you know, Lord, save me. Uh, we don't do foolishness, but um, still, we don't need to live per se in fear. We can live in wisdom um, because then, I mean, you would never go out of the house. I mean, anything can happen. Every time you go out of the house, you can get in a car crash. You can get shot. Every time you get in a plane, the plane could go down. Uh, trains could crash and so on and so forth. So we are not to live in fear, but we need to live by faith and faith in Christ, faith in his protection. Um, I wanted to ask you, though, what do you think of, I don't know if you've been following what happened in California with John MacArthur and Governor Gavin Newsom? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty familiar. You know, I know that MacArthur is making, taking a stand, but I'm sure you have more details than I do on this. Actually, this is kind of like uh, like a round two. Uh, Pastor Peter told me that MacArthur and uh, Governor Newsom, they had another bout, so to speak, on Larry King Live over same-sex marriage. And I obviously think that John MacArthur was a lot sharper, was a lot more logical, and he was correct at the end of the day uh, with uh-huh. his view because he brought the biblical view. And so now Newsom is wanting to go after MacArthur and MacArthur is saying that this is a government overreach and that the government can't intrude in the worship of God, especially since it's allowing, again, the marijuana distribution centers and all these other things. The bars are open. Um, So Newsom is allowing all these other groups to open, but the, the church is a problem. And so he's taking a stand. He's allowing some people to meet outside if they feel more comfortable, if they don't want to come in. And he's opening the door so people can come into the building. I think he's doing the right thing. Uh, I support him in it. And if we had our own building and if we were in California, uh, I think we'd be doing this exact same thing. I know that, um, I don't know if you were following what happened with our governor who tried to really put the kibosh on the churches and in the court of law 
a judge ruled that Governor Cuomo, again, it was an overreach because he allowed all these protests. And then now he's going to turn around and restrict the churches. I, I think the specific argument was, if you're going to lay restrictions on these particular businesses, then you can't do a special restrictions on it's remember similar size right similar building size similar makeup of people yes. but they get to do it and we can't do it and i think it was just like hey we're not asking for special treatment we're just asking you to treat us the same as everyone else if if it's dangerous for us to do it then it should be dangerous for them to do it and i yeah. i think that's the, the 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 big hurdle there the question i would ask is is what MacArthur doing disobeying government, or at least the way that we had already brought it up? I guess we could say it's civil disobedience, but I think he's submitting, as we said before, to a higher authority, the authority of God. Um, his mm. argument, which I agree with, is that uh, a Caesar doesn't have a right to govern the church and tell the church mm. what to do. So Caesar can tell you know, people, Christians, you know, listen, you need to pay taxes. Uh, everyone's paying taxes, but that, you know, Macy's can be open. Marijuana plants can be open. The church, uh, you know, we're going to put the kibosh on that. I mean, you can just see the target on the cross. You can see the target on the pastors and, and believers. Um, it's very unfair. It's very unjust since everything seems to be about what's just. Uh, this is in, this is clearly in unjust. And, and you got to think about it. Like, I mean, what's the next step? After, if you have this kind of control over how a church body meets in a non-business, non-corporate manner, then what's to stop them from saying, okay, in your house, <laughs> you got to keep six feet distance. In your house, you got to do this X, Y, Z. We're going to have inspectors come to the house to make sure that you're keeping this. We yeah. may need to put some cameras in there to 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 keep track of how you move. Like, Remember, you can use this health thing as far as you want to go. Uh, you know, during this whole thing, one of the arguments they made was if even one life, abortion clinics are still open. So one life doesn't mean anything to you. You can't guarantee anybody. Not, you, do you know who has control over that? God the Father. Yeah. And so if God the Father wants to use this virus to do what it's going to do, there's no, there's, no, there's no human being on earth who can stop it. I want to. Not saying that's the, the, the case. Yeah, I want to touch on something that you mentioned with the cameras. In China, actually, there are cameras, camera feeds, and the government can watch what's going on because uh, Big Brother is watching. And who knows if that will kind of come onto our doorstep. But in some respect, Big Brother's watching because Big Brother is restricting the church and allowing all these other things and calling those things essential. But the Church of Jesus Christ, not essential. Well, well, it, it actually is here. So one of the other things that was happening that is is in New Jersey and a, and a, and a many and a, several different cities across the U.S. They were getting drones from China, and the drones were flying through the neighborhood to see if people were social distancing and 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 to keep track of that. And they were flying over houses, and I'm like, okay, drones that were made in China. Obviously, possibly with under the influence of the Chinese government, that was a, uh, was was flying over United States cities, cities, and then monitoring citizens to see if they were complying with the rules of, of government rules by which the Constitution does not allow them to have. Wow. Right, we're allowed to free, we're allowed the freedom to mingle and move as we see fit. I don't even think it's illegal for them to tell us that we can't be amongst our people. I, if it's a public property in a public place, yes, but in our homes, in our backyards, on our porches, I just don't think they have the authority to do that. Yeah, and that's what happens, Glenn, when there's a muddying of what is the role of government. And so I think Paul gives it to us. The role of government is to protect those that are doing right and punish those that are doing wrong, to, to have order in a society. But it seems that <laughs> they're punishing those that are doing right and protecting those that are doing wrong. And so when you know what the role of government is, then I believe you can use the words of Jesus and make a righteous judgment. But if you don't know what the role the government is, I mean, that just can go left or right, center, backwards. I mean, it can just go all over the place because if you don't know what something is created for, then you could misuse it. 
I mean, you can take a wrench and bang a nail in, I guess, but wrenches weren't made for that. You need a hammer. And with the government, we have to know what the role is. And then we have to hold government accountable to its role. Let me give an example. I've preached in front of abortion clinics before. And I've had the cops called on me. I didn't have a problem with the cops being called. That's fine. They have the legal right to call the cops for whatever reason they want. I wasn't breaking any laws. Okay. So ultimately it was a waste of time. The cop did not ask me to do anything. Uh, they, I didn't have to move uh, one time because this happened several times. One time they asked me if I would move to a new location. I simply asked the officer, am I breaking any laws? I'm supposed to be 15 feet away from the front door. I am 15 feet away from the door and I'm not moving an inch closer. And so all I'm doing is using my freedom of speech to preach the gospel. They left me alone. <laughs> because you were social distancing yourself. <laughs> well, that was even before the pandemic, but I, I was within my legal bounds. And sometimes the police don't even know the laws. Now, I'm not going to say that all, that all times they don't know the laws, but certain things like what are the laws on street preachers? Uh, they haven't memorized every law, just like you and I haven't memorized every verse in the scriptures. I was in my my legal rights to do so. And then even when they left, one of the people who was in charge of the uh, murder mills there was so angry and continued to try to command me to do this and to do that. And I simply said to her, I think her name is Mary Lou. Listen, you called the authorities. They have the badge. You, you're not the police. You can't do their job. Sorry, I'm under the authority and I have the legal right to do what I'm doing. Yeah, Phil. I mean, uh, that makes sense. And I, and I do agree with that. That That is peaceful protesting. That's still acting within a lawful restraints that you've been given. You're still obeying the authorities. You're saying, I don't like this. I'm going to follow every rule that you've set up for me, but I'm still going to evangelize against abortion. I'm still going to evangelize for life. I'm still going to evangelize for Christ's effect on this world. Yes. They would characterize that as protesting or peaceful protesting, or I know I know I would in a certain way. I mean, we can, we call it evangelizing, but from a secular mindset as protesting. Again, I just want to piggyback on the fact that this George Floyd protest, all the unrest that's going on is a racial issue. Yes. And as well as this governmental issue. And I, I don't think it would be fair to, to, to talk about this without talking about the fact that we are not exempt from these racial issues in the church. Whether you agree or disagree, it's 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 definitely something that's bubbling under the surface. Maybe we covered this in the past, but this concept of critical race theory is this mm -hmm. belief that racism is ingrained in the fabric and system of American society. I believe it was Barack Obama who said it's in the American DNA. Um, right. And right. so there's this assumption that, quote unquote, people of color are inherently oppressed and marginalized by power structures rooted in white privilege and white supremacy. And so which, which means different things if you are if you're keeping uh, score. Um and so uh, critical race theory is definitionally committed to transforming this assumed oppression. And so now we're in the church and now like in our church, right? We have I mean, <laughs> we have the United Nations in our church. So right, right. I mean, uh, Hispanic, black, uh, people from different countries, mixed folks, uh, different languages. Yeah, yeah. It's beautiful, you know. And 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 I think, Phil, Phil, you would say, yeah, that's the picture that they're asking for. But there's a reason why, right? <laughs> right. That's the picture that they're asking for. We got it. <laughs> I know, but but how did we get it? Did we did we do like did we do like go around and survey the neighborhood nope. and said you can come but you can't come? Uh -uh. We got it. We got to keep the mix right. We didn't do that. All we did was preach the cross. Right, right, and we brought in people that reflected the neighborhood that we're in. That's it. We just we went out to the neighborhoods, the highways and the byways, compelled them to come in and say, "Listen, there is a there is a God that forgives." And there's a God that judges, and he's the same God. You don't want to be under the judgment of God. Turn to him because he lovingly sent his only son to die for us. And we are sinners, and we're in need of salvation. 
But it's critical race theory is in the church, right? Because I, I, I'm telling you, over the last couple of years, I've been hearing this argument of, yes, well, there are too many white churches, or that's a white church, and that's a black church, and we need. And I'm just like, no, it's a church of God, right? If, if I, if, you know, I've walked into all white church and received nothing but love. I've walked into all black churches and received nothing but love. I, I, I don't, you know, when I was first being saved, I thought about it like that. I, I wanted to have a black pastor. And then after a, a, uh, six, seven months of that, I said, you know what? I just want a biblical pastor. How about that? That's critical race theory because we shouldn't be looking at that. We should be saying, am I getting the people that are in my community, right? Are they coming in? And if it happens to be a community of white people, it should be more white people, right? What's one thing that you never, I've never heard? I don't know if you've heard that. Have you ever heard anyone say the church is too black? <laughs> no. And I, I don't know that I've ever heard the decry of a black pastor saying, man, I don't have enough Caucasians in my church. Uh, I don't have enough Hispanics in my church. Where are all the Asians? How come all the Asians? Uh, there, I don't have Chinese people and Japanese people in my church. But it just seems that saying that I don't have enough black people in a Caucasian church, uh, that seems to be somehow acceptable. And sometimes it's completely illogical. Now, if your community has all different ethnicities, uh, then the church should represent the community that it's in. But if your community has all kinds of uh, various, let's say, uh, Latinos in it, then that's what the church is going to look like. So you're not going to expect to find somebody maybe from Italy or someone uh, from Pakistan in there. But Phil, but, but my point is, even if that's the case, even if you're in the multicultural center of the world, like we are, yes. and it just happens to be all white church, I, I don't want to look at it that way. I, I, I don't want to look at it and say, yep, there's not enough racial diversity here. That's critical race theory. I think we need to attack that. It should just primarily be, hey, a lot of people seem to be traveling 10 miles to get to this church. That's the problem, not the, the racial makeup. That is something that's being brought in. It is not an issue that's a biblical issue that's, you know, the Bible is teaching us to keep track of. It's are you going to the highways and byways and preaching the gospel to the poor, the ones that are lost to God, which is everybody and every race and every culture and every tongue. And the minute we start keeping quotas, I think we're a little bit lost. I don't even want to stay there. There's other things going on, right? Right, right Pastor Bill? It's not just that. There's this other argument of we need to go do a, a, a background history check of the particular church or institution to see if there was any racism or slavery or any a leader of that church was ever involved, knew about, had a cousin who had slavery, and then we need to then decry it and 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 bring it back up, and then deal with it because somehow it lingers on the building. <laughs> you know, this is the next part of it, and I think that's also nonsense. Yeah, yeah, I mean that's that's absolutely true, and I think uh, Ezekiel chapter chapter eighteen just blows that out of the water. Everyone's responsible for their own sin. And I think right. there's so many assumptions made that are there as well. And so one of the things that we have to realize is that there were black people that sold black people into slavery mm. and mm. there were black slave owners in the United States. How many were there? There was about 4,000. So. I think it was actually 12. But oh, really? You, right. you, you could be right, but I, I think I heard it as high as 12,000. But if, and if somebody says, listen, there were more white people that had people in slavery, I mean, that just misses the whole issue. I thought slavery was wrong, as, and it's wrong. Not that, oh, this group did it less than that group. <laughs> and, and the majority of people, white people, did not own slaves. You couldn't, you had to be wealthy to do that. You couldn't, you know, you, you have to feed them. You have to provide health care. You have to have a large enough acreage for which you can make them work. It, that's not the regular normal person. Today, that's not the regular normal person. So people have to understand that you're going around and you're saying that person is white and his ancestry is racist. Some of them were not in this country. That's if they right. were in this country, 
they, if they were in this country, they ne- they they don't necessarily have had to add, have anything to do with slavery. How do you how do you look at someone and say you are in the abolitionist movement? You are in the movement to free slaves. Your ancestors were, and your ancestors were not. How do you do that? How do you go? Do you just have an ancestry ancestry dot com app where you just go around and just kind of like scan people? <laughs> there's there's no way to know. And so you're yeah. protesting people, you're attacking people, you're telling people to repent of things that even if you the sins could follow you, there's no way to prove who did what. Yeah, and again, it goes back to. Second Corinthians chapter five verse seventeen, where all those in Christ are new creatures. So if someone is in Christ, Amen. And someone's parent did something all the way back. The person today is not culpable for what happened all the way back then, and most of it is guesswork. Yeah. Okay, there is some traces that people can look back. Uh, even some of the people that we enjoy listening to, or that we read their materials, I should say. I believe it was George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, and others. But then we had people like William Wilberforce, uh, who came against slavery. That was where Amazing Grace came out of all of that. Even the writer of Amazing Grace was the captain of a slave ship, and God changed his heart. So if there was someone today who was an ancestor of John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, does that mean that so-and-so Newton today is culpable and responsible for what happened back on the slave ship, even though John Newton repented? I mean, wh- like, where does it end? And here, and here's the hypocrisy. If you look back in anyone's history in their family, I think you're going to smell and find sin. You're going to find adultery. You're going to find homosexuality. Uh, uh, you might find pedophile. You're going to find all manner of sin because all men are sinners and people have put racism as the unpardonable sin, uh, that is the one that's not even covered by the blood of Christ at the cross. We're not saying that there are not racist people. We're not saying that racism isn't bad. We're not saying that there isn't a racial divide in certain parts. We're not saying not to talk about it. We actually encouraging you to talk about it. But what we're saying is we need to have a biblical perspective on it. Christians should not be holding, you know, like town hall, you know, conferences primarily dealing with an issue that should not be an issue in the church. Now, if that's an issue in a specific church, I'm once again, what you were mentioning about sin, I also think it's it probably is indicative of doctrine of that church, of the misunderstanding of scripture in that church, of the allowing the culture to influence you. So if you allow the culture to influence you in the critical race theory way, that's bad. If you allow the culture to influence you in the racism way, that's bad, right? Both are bad. You don't combat one with the other. You just say, hey, we need to start praying again. We need to start following the, what the Bible has commanded us to do. I've been doing a Bible study in 2 Corinthians, and Paul's argument for the people who were calling him a false teacher, the false teachers who were arguing against him, his argument was, my goal is to spread the gospel. I'm not worried about any of these other things. Judge me on that. That's that's what we should be judging each other on, is, is how faithfully we are executing the command that God has given us to spread the gospel to the poor. If we have time to talk about these other things, <laughs> we're not doing that. Go ahead, yeah, sir. Yeah. I, I was listening to, I believe it was Vodi Bakum, and he brought up uh, Rwanda and the genocide. Mm. Uh, I believe yes. it was the, the Tutsis. Tutsis and the, and the Tutsis. Exactly what you said. You said it much better than I ever could. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, and they, they, they had uh, similar pigmentation from what I saw. Um, right. And yet no one's, where's the decry for that? Uh, how come people aren't going, you know, and marching for what took place there? That that wasn't a black white issue. No, because because America is the because America is the great evil, and there's no, there's no other greater evil in the world than America. Even though every country in the world either had slavery or they've caused great atrocities, communism killed millions of people. People in Russia millions were killed. China, millions were killed. And I'm not talking about 200 years ago. I'm talking about 50 years ago, 20 years ago, you know, 70 years ago. It's recent. And 
it's like, nope, they're okay. But America, who hasn't killed that many people, that that is actually living out i mean if, if america was a human being they started off with all these issues and they've been slowly repenting and growing and becoming closer and closer to the picture of what they were founded to be but you get no credit it's like it it, it doesn't matter it doesn't matter that you, we now have the right to vote it doesn't matter that women have the right to vote it's no it doesn't even matter that we've gone even beyond um godly rights and we're giving um, gay people the right to be married. We're we, we're allowing people to change their sex. We're we're going beyond even what what, what God would classify as things. Clearly. And yet, still, we get no credit. We're still horrible. Still, the worst country in the world. While we have examples of countries like Rwanda, which were fifty years ago, it wasn't a long. It wasn't that long ago. Yeah, yeah, I I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, and I think there was a big uh, the 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 Ottomans. Um, which were Muslims. I mean, they slaughtered people. They slaughtered mm. millions of Armenians. Uh, where's the marches? Where's the uh, uh, you know the uh, being upset about that? Uh, the Irish were mistreated. The Italians were mistreated. Even in America, um, you know. So it's not like just one group has been mistreated. Um, and the problem is, is they've misdiagnosed the problem. The problem is not to look at people in the sense of the categories of the oppressive and the oppressor and to look at people um, in the sense of the privileged and the superior, if you will. There are only two categories that the scripture points out for people, and it's not Republican and Democrat. It's not rich and poor. It is the righteous and the unrighteous. And so we're supposed to look at our brothers and sisters in Christ as brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, we are one in Christ. But all around the world, um, we see people now, even professing Christians, joining with the vain and ungodly philosophies of men. And it it just doesn't sit in my heart and stomach very well. Uh, very Actually very upset about that. Um, and so we'll actually have the opportunity to engage in that kind of discussion very soon with other Christian leaders. Yeah. And, um, and, and Pastor Phil, I just think, you know, we, we talked about the protests. We talked about COVID. We talked about all these racial unrest in and outside of the church. And, you know, it, it may sound like a broken record, but at the end of the day, sin is the problem. And, Although we can be very passionate about justice and we want to kind of fix the ills of society, and I'm not telling you, not, I'm not, I'm not even saying not to do that. I, I just don't want us to lose, take our eye off the prize. That at the end of the day, our biggest problem is that we're at war with God, and that we need to reconcile with Him, right? Um, more than we need to reconcile racially, more than we need to reconcile in any other respect. Our biggest problem is our sin. And I just hope that everyone can put that in perspective, understanding that with a pandemic like this, death so, for some people is ever closer. What do they need more? For uh, in, in a situation where there's racial tensions and everyone's riled up, what should we be doing? Inflaming it? or calming it down? Should we be peacemakers between man and God, or should we be warring after the flesh? Those are the thoughts that I, I just want to leave us with. And and only the gospel uh, hits on all pistons. We see at the cross, we see injustice, and we see the love of God all uh, emerging simultaneously at the cross where the just dies for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. And so we don't need to look at people in the categories like uh, the good people are uh, the powerless, marginalized, and oppressed. The bad people are the powerful, privileged, and oppressors. Uh, no, we need to look through a biblical lens and say, the Bible says there's the righteous and the unrighteous. And those that are in the unrighteous camp, which we were in that camp. And we're not saying we're not sinners anymore because we certainly are. But when God saves you, he counts you among the righteous. 
And so we want to see more people, even people that are protesting, uh, people that are very ungodly, living ungodly lives. We want to see them saved by the cross of Christ, the same gospel and grace that saved us. We want to see them saved and we want to see them counted among the righteous. Because at the end of the day, uh, no one's going to stand before a Black Lives Matter mob. No one's going to stand before a president or a governor or a mayor. We're all going to stand before the ultimate sovereign of the universe. He is the ultimate of all governments. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's the name above every name. And no one is going to crush his his government and authority. Well, in closing, realize Christians are called to and must obey governmental authorities, Romans 13. And according to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 through 17, we must be in subject like a soldier to a commander for the sake of the Lord to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. This is what Christians must do. But when government decrees are clearly contrary to God's word, God must be obeyed over government. Martin Luther defied an earthly kingdom because of the higher heavenly call from God's kingdom when he stood against Roman Catholicism and said, when he stood on God's word, here I stand, I can do no other, God help me. And finally, recall the simple yet profound and bold words from Peter and the apostles who stated, we must obey God rather than men. Friends, are you prepared to live that? Am I prepared to live that? Are we prepared to stand upon God's word and obey God rather than men? In lieu of announcements, November 10th through the 13th, for four consecutive nights, Soul Fishing Ministries will be hosting a virtual conference on the Gospel-Centered Family. We will be having two sessions each night from 7 to 9 p.m. Speakers will include Pastor Scott Brown of Hope Baptist Church, Mark Spence, Vice President of Living Waters, Pastor Carlton McLeod of Calvary Reformation Church, and yours truly, Phil Sessa, also known as the Bronx Expositor. You can register and sign up for our newsletter at soulfishingministries.org. We thank God for all of our listeners as you take time out of your day to stop and think about it. If you would like to contact us, please email us at stopandthinkcrew at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at www.stopandthinkpodcast.com. This podcast is listener-supported by generous people like you. You can give a tax-deductible donation at our affiliate ministry at www.soulfishingministries.org and click on our donate link to give securely through PayPal. Thank you for listening to Stop and Think About It. 